better move this. I'm a walker and wanderer, and I've just fall down. That would be really funny. Uh, my name is Justin Craig. I'm the family minister here at Windsor Road, and uh, this morning, you're stuck with me. So uh, our Haiti team did get back safe and sound, uh, so they are back in. Yeah, v- Valina is in. Hey! So they are back safe and sound after their trip uh, with Pastor Isen and his team down there. And uh, so we are grateful for that. Uh, this morning, it's my privilege to, to wrap up our series on generosity. And I was, as I was walking through our scripture for the week, I thought of this. I was on vacation when I was six years old. And we went to Washington, D.C., my mom's cousin, Derwin, who is six foot seven, somehow missed the gene pool on that because I'm like a foot shorter than that. But some, anyway, that's big guy. He works out in Washington, D.C., has been inviting us out for year after year after year. And finally, my parents are like, yeah, let's take our family vacation to Washington, D.C., beautiful place, lots to see. And he says to us, you know, on the way out, he's like, you know what, We're, I'll take you behind the scenes. We're like, cool, that sounds great. And so here we are, the Craig family, you know, not really, uh, you know, uh, high caliber family and everything, but we're out there walking through with, with our cousin who has the badge, and he's like, they're my family, they're with me. And I'm like, yeah, we're his family, we're with him. You know, this is great, right? I mean, I'm walking around with like some weird flip-flops and some shorts that have weird patterns on them. No sweatpants, but... Uh, just some crazy shorts and everything. We're walking around together. It's a lot of fun. We see just about every site there is except the White House, but we got to see all kinds of behind-the-scenes tours of everything. And one night, Cousin Derwin says, I've made some reservations at a pretty nice restaurant. Would like you guys to be my guests. I'd like to treat the family. Derwin's a single guy, doesn't have a family of his own. And so out there, we were able to be his family. We were able to be his loved ones out there. It was awesome. So he takes us to this really nice restaurant. When I say really nice, you can't really pronounce the name of it. Uh, and then you open up the menu and it all looks like it's in Greek. And it's like, this is no good. It wasn't even a Greek restaurant. I don't get it. But it was just, it was one of those restaurants where it's like, I don't belong here. And it was pretty clear from the moment that we walked in, you know, in my jeans and everything else, I was looking really, really nice. And so we get in there, we sit down, our server comes over the table and he says, hey, my name's so-and-so, I, you know, I'll be your server. If you guys need anything tonight, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to serve. And so Derwin raises his hand, he goes, they're from out of town, so let's give them, you know, just let's give them everything great. And I'm like, is there like a, hey, these people I don't like, give them everything that's terrible kind of service? I don't know. And so he comes, takes our, takes our drink orders, and I wanted chocolate milk. They don't have chocolate milk, so I have to settle for water. I'm like, man, that's no good. So now it comes time for the ordering process. And he's making his way around the table. Now, normally at six, my mom and dad would have ordered for me, but I was really wanting to be Easter independent And so I said, I want to order for myself. And they're like, do you know what you're getting? I was like, yes, I know what I'm getting. Okay. So he comes around to me, and in my best six-year-old adult voice, I said, I'd like some chicken nuggets and french fries, please. (laughs) And he looks at my parents and goes, we we don't serve chicken nuggets. Um, You know, we've got some nice chicken dishes. And my cousin Derwin goes, sir, I believe you can find something suitable for my family. And he goes, yes, sir, I'm very sorry. Right, right away, I'll, I'll get their orders in right away. And so I have no idea what to expect. I'm expecting to eat bread for the rest of the night. You know, the hard bread that isn't really good? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's not even, it's not even soft, okay? And then the butter is like made out of ice. And it's like, this isn't butter. Come on. You know, and so they, they bring out the meal. And on this tray is my plate. And I'm like, what is on that? So he comes and sets down this really fancy plate, and on it are McDonald's chicken nuggets and french fries. I was like, 
I win. Like, I'm looking at the rest of the table going, you have chicken made in oil you didn't know it existed, you know? Like, you, you ordered something you have no idea, and I've got McDonald's chicken nuggets and french fries. Still hot, still good. I was like, this is awesome. I felt significant. I felt special. You know, six-year-old getting to do something special like that just made me feel really good about myself. This guy had not only gone out of his way to get me something, but he had gone across the street to McDonald's to buy my food. They didn't even charge us for the $1.99 Happy Meal. It was great. But as I'm walking through our scripture this morning, I'm reminded of that server going out of his way to make someone feel special, to make me feel valued, to make me feel like I mattered to him. And that's something special that serving does to others. When we serve others, it makes them feel valuable. It makes them feel loved and cared for. And when we serve in the name of Jesus, it not only makes them feel valued by another person, but it makes them feel valued by Christ. This morning, we're going to be talking about the generosity of Jesus. And all through the Gospels, we find the generosity of Jesus as he feeds the 5,000, as he speaks with the woman at the well, as he has lunch with Zacchaeus in his home. We find the generosity of Jesus as he calms the storm, and we find it in every word, every action, and every miracle. We see the generosity of Jesus, and it's out of that generosity that we are to be compelled to serve others. And so this morning, we're going to walk through a familiar stretch of Scripture. We're going to walk through something that we've probably all heard before. But I want to challenge us to look at it through the lens of serving others. I want to challenge us to be looking for how Jesus serves and why Jesus serves. If you have your Scriptures, we're going to be in John chapter 13 this morning. John chapter 13, like I said, really familiar passage, uh, a passage that's talked about quite a bit, especially, you know, with Easter just, just a little over six weeks away, I think, if I'm doing math right, probably less than that. I don't know. Rachel knows. But with John 13, we see Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and I want to read it for us here, starting in verses 1 through 15. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now there's two qualities that I want to talk about 
Two qualities that, that live in a servant, that live in serving. And we see them here in Jesus. And I want to I be upfront about this because I think, I think probably some of, some of us might be sitting there going, Justin, this seems really basic. This seems like basic stuff, like stuff that we go over, you know, in like a starting point class or stuff that we go over in, in like the beginning stages of Christianity. Why are we talking about this now? But if we don't get back to the basics every once in a while, we start to forget that the basics matter. So that's why we're sitting here this morning. The first quality of serving is humility. Verses 3 through 5 says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a, big, into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The first thing we need to take note of in our scripture here, the first thing we need to take note of is that verse, in verse 3, God has put all things under the power of Jesus. He has taken, he has put all the power into the hands of Jesus, and then Jesus puts the disciples' feet into his hands. Jesus takes on the neglected task of washing the disciples' feet. You see, it was customary for when you walked into someone's house, that the, the lowest of the low servants would come and they would wash your feet. As a guest in the house, they would wash your feet. And if, and if the servant was not available, it would be the lowest of the participants. So really, what's happening here is that the disciples should have been washing Jesus' feet, but instead Jesus washes their feet. And I have to believe that because in the Gospel of Luke, he talks about that the disciples are actually in an argument right now. You know, they're getting ready to eat, eat with Jesus, and they start to argue about who is the greatest disciple. Probably talking about who can sit closest to Jesus. They're in the middle of this huge argument about who is the greatest. And Jesus takes the role of the servant. Jesus takes this awkward moment and turns it into a very teachable moment. You see, Jesus goes from being the one in charge to being the one ignored. He moves from the master's seat at the table to the servant's spot on the floor. He moves from being noticed to being overlooked. He transfers the power of his voice to the power of his actions. As the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest, Jesus says through his actions, hey guys, humility is the greatest. You see, humility sees every situation as an invitation to serve. The invitation to the feet is where Jesus calls us to a lifestyle of servanthood through humility. And there's two things we can learn about humility this morning as we, as we talk about Jesus' part, his role here. Verse 3, Jesus has, has talked about all the power is under his control, and we see that humility will change our appearance. All things are under his control, and he decides before the meal happens to make a costume change. You see, his disciples see him as master and teacher and Lord. The three names that are given to Jesus in our very scripture, they see him as master and teacher and Lord. But Jesus needs them to see him as something different as well. Jesus needs them to see him as a servant as someone who will take the lowest position so that others can have the highest. He gets up from the meal table, takes off his outer clothing, and wraps a towel around his waist. Now there's something important here. In those words, there's something really important. You see, see Jewish servants back then would have, would have had a nice attire to wear. Now it wouldn't have been as nice as the guests, but it would have been a nice attire to wear as they served the others in the house. And so Jesus, Jesus is not taking on the appearance of a Jewish servant. He's taking on the appearance of a Gentile servant. 
And if you know anything about Scripture, you know, you know that Jews thought they were here and, and they thought the Gentiles were down here. So when Jesus gets up, takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist, it's really a shock factor here. Humility changes our appearance. Did you know? You probably did. You guys are smart. I'm not smart, so I didn't know this. There is a big difference between being a critical thinker and being a critical spirit. A critical spirit walks around with a clipboard all day waiting for somebody else to mess up. And when I think of a critical spirit, I think of myself, to be 100% honest, because I follow our oldest daughter around all day waiting for her to make a mistake. She's actually said before, I feel like there are days that I can't do anything right. That is being a critical spirit. A critical spirit will always look for the negative. It's really another word for pride. Pride will always distort our view of ourselves and of others. There's a book that I've, I've read and I love. It's this right up here, the Holman Bible Concordance for Kids. If you guys have kids, work with kids, or see kids, I know that's all of you. You need to have this book. This is not just a concordance of telling us where, where key scriptures are found, but it's also, it also has dictionary terms in it. The way to be able to process, to help kids process through these big Bible words that we have. And for me, I was like, Let's make up a really easy definition of pride. So I went here to the Holman Bible Concordance, and this is what it said. Pride is thinking one is more important or better than others. Trusting in oneself. Pride gives glory to self rather than to God, and pride causes a person to look down on others. See, this is something that's really important, and I, I wrote this down uh, on Friday or yesterday. I can't remember when this just kind of all came out, but I was thinking about pride. I'm like, okay, how do I process pride? And pride is never letting go of the sins of others, and pride is never remembering the sins of ourself. Pride is never letting go of the sins of others and never letting us remember the sins of ourselves. So how could we ever serve through humility if we are in a constant state of pride? Being a critical spirit, walking in pride, will always jeopardize our humility. But being a critical thinker, critical spirit versus critical thinker, being a critical thinker is really the process of looking out for the good of everyone involved. Instead of carrying around a clipboard all day, waiting for somebody to make a mistake, the critical thinker walks around with a towel looking for ways to serve. And isn't it funny that Jesus' appearance changes into a towel? Critical thinkers will always serve through humility. Humility will change our appearance. The second thing we need to know about humility is that humility will change our position. Verse 4, Jesus gets up from his seat, the master's seat, and then starts the process of washing his disciples' feet. He kneels down in front of them with the appearance of a Gentile servant and begins to wash their feet. His position changes from the head of the table to the lowest of the waitstaff. He changes his position from the master to the servant. And Jesus is not doing this so that they can follow the customs. He's doing this to give them a lesson to follow. The selfless act of washing their feet is not the point of the story but the selfless lifestyle is. 
And the disciples, they're going to see that as Jesus walks closer and closer and closer to the cross. Humility changes our position. In the same way that we see Jesus move from his seat to the floor, we should be moving from our seat to our world. Last week, we talked about having a generous heart. We said that, that the greatest question is not, are you going to follow Jesus, but where are you going to follow Jesus? You see, humility changes our position from looking out for me to looking out for others. The humility of Christ gives us the example and gift of self-forgetfulness. When we stop thinking about our needs and we stop thinking about our wants, we stop thinking about our victories, we stop thinking about our failures and our sins, when we stop thinking about all this stuff and we start thinking and focusing on what Jesus has for us and what Jesus wants for us, that's when we have the capacity to serve others. We cannot serve others when we have a selfish schedule and a selfish mindset. And none of this is possible without following the humility of Jesus. So how does Jesus serve? Jesus serves through humility. And humility sees every situation as an invitation to serve. The second quality of serving is love. And I know that's not a shock to anybody. You guys aren't going, oh, that's good. I'm going to write that one down. I didn't know that. I had to love people to serve them. That's weird. Verses 6 through 11 says this, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. Here we see Jesus' interaction with Peter. But it's not just an interaction with Peter. He's interacting with all of the disciples right now. And he's not just talking about the necessity of serving others, but he's talking about the necessity of loving others. And Peter objects. Peter goes, no way, you're not washing my feet. And he doesn't just do it once, but he does it twice. And Jesus both times responds with, you need this. And unless you allow me to serve you and love you and show you, then you have no part with me. Peter then agrees and mentions, well, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And this has some cultural significance to it. You see, the head and face were known to represent power and honor. Hands were known to represent authority and energy. Maybe that's why I always wave my arms around like, a, like I'm a, you know, calling in a flight. Like, I don't know. Energy, it's just that constant energy. So really, Peter wants Jesus to have all of him. I always thought Peter might be trying to win the argument of who's the greatest here. Well, you guys just got your feet washed, but look at my head, it's all wet. My hands, they're all wet. That's great. But that's not it at all. Peter is selflessly saying, Jesus, I want you to have all of me. Take my time, my energy, my honor, my authority, my power, and they are yours. But Jesus says, I already know that part of your heart. You're clean there, but not all of you are clean. You see, he says that because my favorite part of the story is that Judas is still in the room. I think often we can forget that part, is that Judas is still in the room. 
He's not left to betray Jesus. He's moments away from that, but he's not left to do that yet. And while Peter actively resists the washing of Jesus at first, Judas passively rejects it without saying a word. He's still sitting there waiting for Jesus to wash his feet, but he doesn't want Jesus to wash his heart. I think sometimes I fall into that category where I want Jesus to serve me, but there's no way I'm going to serve Jesus. See, there's no secret in this to Jesus, right? Verse 3, verse 3, where, where all the power is now under Jesus, he knows all this. So Jesus willingly washes not just the disciples' feet. He doesn't just wash Peter's feet, but he washes Judas's as well. Why? And this is important. I needed to hear this this week, and this, this just kind of sat like a brick in my, in my heart and my stomach this week. I hope it does that for you too, because misery loves company. But maybe you came needing to hear this today. But I asked the question of why does Jesus do this, right? Well, because Jesus' love is greater than our betrayal. Jesus' love is greater than our betrayal. And I say ours because while we don't sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, we will sell him for a lot less. Love sees every person as a child of God. Which means that there are no exceptions, no exclusions, and no expiration date. There's two things we need to know about love. We cannot pick and choose who we love. That's not the love of Christ. That's not the example of Jesus. Love is our process of showing others their value And the more that we know about Jesus and the more we read scripture, the more we realize that there are no limitations on Jesus' love. He loves the unlovable. He cares for the castaways. He provides for the multitudes. He serves everyone. He gives to everyone. He loves everyone. So when did we start to think that it was okay to build exclusions on love? When did we start to have qualifications for people to love? When did we decide that our attitude of acceptance overrides God's image in every person? You see, if we're going to love effectively, then we cannot place limitations on our love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You may have heard this scripture before if you've ever been to a wedding. But I got news for you. Paul didn't write this for just married people. Paul didn't say in the, middle of his, in the middle of his letter to Corinth, he didn't say, all right, all you guys go over there, all you married people, come on in close. We're going to have a huddle. He doesn't say that at all. This is how you interact with others, not just with your spouse or the people that choose to be with you. But Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. He says this, love is patient, love is kind. If this is a checklist, I'm not doing so well. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Still not doing so well, just to keep you guys aware. Love does not delight in evil, but rejects with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. This is not a wedding scripture. This is a how to interact with everybody scripture. 
The second thing we need to know about love, besides that love holds no limits, is that love facilitates truth. Love paves a way for truth to be delivered. Truth matters a lot more when love matters a lot more. Have you ever tried to tell somebody some truth without having any love relationship at all? That doesn't go well. We might think that it's our job as Christians to spill truth to everybody, but sometimes we leave out that love and grace part. I'm not even going to talk about Facebook and you guys. I mean, I don't even want to get into that. You guys can write on my wall later about how disappointed you are that I said something about Facebook. But trying to speak truth without love doesn't work. The disciples up to this point had seen and experienced Jesus doing miracles and performing a lot of powerful moments with others. Now I said, I'm, I'm going to say most of the time Jesus has spent with the disciples, a lot of it has been his miracles directed towards other people. Sure, Jesus is walking on the water and calming the storm of the disciples and doing some miraculous things with them, but most of the time they are, they're watching. But here, here, Jesus has a moment alone with them. He makes it personal with them. He's saying to them, you've seen me cast out demons, feed thousands, heal sick, blind and deaf. You've seen me calm storms, have heard me speak truth. But I want you to pay attention right now to the moment that's happening here. You're not going to understand it. I get it. But just pay attention because you will later. Jesus uses his actions to speak his truth. He uses this moment of uninterrupted time to give them a timeless truth. He takes his appearance and his position and he tells them, guys, those things don't matter. He doesn't just walk Peter through this, but he walks all of his disciples through this. He walks Judas through this to teach truth on a level of love. You see, truth matters when love matters. And they were able to see that through the actions of their loving master. And Jesus calls us to do the same. To speak truth through love. To be truth in our humble actions. Love sees every person as a child of God. Verses 12 through 15. We wrap up our scripture. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This whole scripture this whole story boils down to this one idea. Serving is not something that we do. It's who we are called to be. Serving is not something we do. It's who we are called to be. You see, what we do matters. Our actions matter. What we do matters 100%. But who we are matters more. I think it's ironic that we have all these scriptures telling us to serve, but Jesus doesn't need us. Jesus does not need us for any of his work. Really, verse 3 should tell us that, that all the power is under Jesus. He doesn't need us. 
He doesn't need our limited and powerless self who gets tired and cranky and selfish and too busy. Jesus does not need us to get his message of redemption and salvation and love out to our world, but Jesus allows us to serve. We are given a privilege and honor to represent the name of Jesus at our job to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our families, to our schools, to our communities, to our enemies, and to each other. The scripture teaches that, that serving is not found in just something that we do, but it's found in our lifestyle. It's ingrained to who we are. Now, I want to be clear. I want to be clear about something. I want to make sure that we don't get wrapped into this constant state of circle of serving, where that's all we do all the time. Because serving can be a great way to be distracted from our relationship with Jesus. We are to be serving out of our overflow from Jesus. If we're not spending time in worship and in prayer and reading the scriptures and doing life with a small group, that's where this word called burnout happens. And I gotta tell you, no church, no community served through our burnout. Peter Scazzaro writes a book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. If you would like a book that will ruin your life, I recommend it. <laughs> this is a terrific book that will ruin your way of thinking about yourself and others. It's great. Um, he's brilliant and, and writes several books, but it is just a book that will just make you ram your head into the wall. It's hardcover because I know that he wants you to throw it every once in a while. Um, I'm sure you can get the, the soft cover, but you don't probably want that. How transforming your inner life will deeply transform your church, your teams, and the world. He writes in his book about serving, this really important topic of serving. He says this, unhealthy leaders will give out for God more than they receive from God. In their more honest moments, they admit that their cup with God is empty or at best half full hardly overflowing with the divine joy and love they proclaim to others. Doesn't that hurt? <laughs> I mean, if that's not a picture of me, I don't know what is. There is a great danger in serving out of our own energy, serving out of our own limited perspective, and out of our own powerless words. But when we do that, we end up doing more for God than we are receiving from God. We are made to serve out of our overflow. We cannot offer grace that we haven't already experienced. We cannot offer love that we have not already seen from Jesus. We cannot offer forgiveness without knowing that we need forgiveness from the Father. We cannot offer healing if we won't receive that from Jesus. We cannot be truly generous without experiencing the generosity of Jesus. Jesus did not come to raise the awareness of our needs. He did not come to raise the awareness of our needs, but Jesus came to be the remedy of those needs. Jesus came to take the sins of ourself and put them on his shoulders. He came to take our nails. He came to take our crown of thorns, our punishment, our pain, our struggles, our hurts, our habits, our selfish desires, our greed, our pride, our lust, our lies. He came to pay the price of our sins and die our death on our cross. He came to be a criminal so that we could be called sons and daughters. 
He came to joyfully give away his life so that we can have life. He came to show humility so that we may show humility. He came to show love so that we could show love. He came to serve so that we would serve. So as we wrap up our series on generosity, we've talked about generosity of grace, generosity of power, generosity of wealth, and generosity of our hearts. And I think a lot of the time, we can start to focus on me and how I'm doing and how I'm doing with this. Am I being generous enough? Am I being generous enough here? But here's the question I want to end with. I want to end our time with today. Will our lives reflect the generosity of us or the generosity of Jesus? Will our lives reflect the generosity of us or the generosity of Jesus? When people see us serving are they seeing Christ or are they seeing me? Who will we reflect? How will we allow Jesus' generosity to impact us and call us into his service? Let's pray.